Archetypal Tarot Podcast explores universal human patterns called archetypes by investigating the major arcana of the ancient tarot. We recognize these archetypes because they are present in our own life stories, myths, and culture. Each card represents a stage of the journey for understanding the greater story of our lives. Hello, I am Julianne, and I'm here with my collaborator, Sindera, and today's Archetypal Tarot podcast is all about lunacy, creativity, and dreams, which are found in the darker places of our psyche, and is represented um, by the card 18 of the Major Arcana, the moon. Uh, we're also going to discuss the archetype of the artist and its relationship to this particular stage of the journey. So, hey there, Sandara. Hello, Julian. Hello. Are you feeling sufficiently mad enough for this card today? Am I? Am I a lunatic? <laughs> Is that what you're asking? It's been said. <laughs> no, I was just asking for today, not a lifelong mm. trend, uh, just for today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cop to both. <laughs> well, you started out that podcast very professionally and very nicely. So I know, I, it's kind of wrong I, for this card, right? I should have been I like, we're going to talk about <laughs> <laughs> maybe moaning about something anyway. Oh, I think we just busted everyone's ear eardrums. All right, that, sorry that about that so. if you had your volume down, but you really should turn that down, you know, keep keep, keep the earbuds going long Just time. listen close. As, as we normally do, we can talk about um, these characters. What is it? What, what's on this card that we can talk about symbolically? Yeah, what is going on here? So we've got the moon uh, right up there in the sky with a face in it. Uh, rather reminiscent of the fool. Uh, his little face up there. And uh, I'm looking at the uh, Marseille's version right now, which isn't that different from the right away. So we're just going to stick to these major symbols of these old decks today. And howling at the moon or barking or yapping at the moon, we have two dogs uh, looking up uh, in, in this nighttime sky. And then below them, we have emerging from this pool of water, like something from a dream, a lobster. <laughs> Or a crawfish, crayfish, a very ancient creature from the sea rising up. In the background, we have uh, a couple of plants sprouting up between the dogs and towers, golden, a golden city, a place of promise, it seems, in the background. So what do we make of these very bizarre symbols? Where did we come from? How did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly my point. Okay, so... We just left the stage of the star, right? So this is beautiful woman by a pool in the water, and she's she's pouring water on the ground, and and the stars are in the sky, and you know we prior to that we had we were knocked on our you know what, um, then we the stars you know about finding your true north, your true desire, and you've had so much stripped away from you that you've gotten at that true desire, and it's this kind of idyllic setting in the evening with the stars, and then you walk onto this scene, and <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I'm sorry, but WTF. Um, it was all pretty, you know, star in sight, and then you think the moon, it'll be beautiful, and, you know, another night, gorgeous nighttime scene, but you've got madness here. You've got these dogs yapping. You've got this crazy freaking, like, lobster coming up out of the water. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. I, I looked at this, I'm like, what? Oh, this is happening. It's nuts. And then, you know, you look deeper and you're like, yeah, it is. It's a little, it's, it's, it is a lot to do with, um, a madness 
and you know like what really what is happening here um the symbols uh, for me the dogs and the it's I've, it's written that it's a dog and a wolf um that kind of makes sense to me they're they're wild beasts um and that the dog is the domesticated you know symbol of loyalty and the wolf is that wildness that absolute just howling at the moon and they both appear to be howling at the moon um they both appear to be responding not from the intellect not even from emotion but from instinct and then you know don't ask me about that freaking lobster thing there that's really it's nutty we've not seen anything like it in any of the cards and to me you know as the the symbologist type person we saw a lot of water in the last card it mm -hmm. was calm um it was in the foreground and it's it's still in the foreground and this creature's coming up out of it it's very dreamlike it's very weird you sure you can attach a lot of symbols to it but i i think the fact that it is so incongruous is important you know i'll just take the fact that like what the hell is this yeah and this That's... is the first card in the linear journey of the major arcana where we don't have a, a human figure in it uh, so that's really fascinating, and it adds to that dreamlike quality. Mm. And uh, the fact, and you mentioned that the, that uh, one is a wolf, one is a dog. So we've reached a place of of not being too wild, or being too domesticated, or maybe the two are battling it out in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it does have a there's a conflictual that there's something being worked out here. Uh, then the point out to you symbolically the I mean okay the moon right you think of the goddess Diana mm -hmm. um, or Artemis or Artemis and the relationship of she had dogs you know the the symbols of those dogs and I know um, Sundari you and I were you and I were talking about what what is the importance of this relationship of the moon the goddess Diana and those and those dogs yeah and uh, we've been talking about how even though we've been taking these podcasts on the major arcana in a linear fashion, it's as if we're circling around mm, back to these mm -hmm. things. Why are we here again? Why are we in the darkness? Why is there this struggle? Um, and it's and it's as if we have returned around perhaps to that goddess Diana, the, the high priestess card, as you remember. Yeah. Um, she was connected with the moon. And here we are in the light of the moon or in the shadow of this goddess and the goddess, the moon goddess Diana had these dogs and she would, there's a famous myth about her, uh, Artemis is her other name, of ripping to shreds a man who had glimpsed her naked in the wilderness and she leashed the dogs upon him because this was so secret, no one could see. Her, her secret life, no one could witness and stay alive mm. and so it's it's as if we're coming across something very very private and secret and a little bit forbidden in this card um, and something also new is just emerging that was before veiled it's like we're behind the veil now exactly like we're behind the... the priestess's veil and the water you know you can see it as a symbol of the unconscious and something very ancient very old is is coming up out of the waters represented by this lobster lobster crawfish very thing. ancient ancient creature and if if the if this creature i i believe if i can get my biological <laughs> facts straight <laughs> if this creature isn't killed by a predator or something they, it just continues to grow they do yeah both it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's just rising up out of the water here so it is kind of this it's a sea monster coming up out of it and i think 
the uh, the image that I think is helpful for me to to kind of go back to this. What is this stage, right? We have, you know, if the the focal point of the last stage was to to have us really get what our true desire and our true north is. This mm-hmm. to me is the first challenge because you're coming right. you're coming upon something that's kind of crazy. It's confusing. It is mm-hmm. as we're looking at the um, the symbols here about unconscious things again. Unconscious meaning where we don't have control over them, um, and it's that really kind of a uh, it, looking at it as this isn't just a next stage after the last one. It's a circling back. If you imagine, sort of our path is truly more of a spiral. What we have come up come up to across from us is that is that high priestess. And that stage, if you look back to that, what did you learn with that stage? What were your expectations? We're seeing the same symbols that we did in the high priestess cards. She had sort of like the the two columns, the black and the white one. Well, where where we are is we've actually gone between those two columns. We've gone the other side of the veil and we're in this place where things aren't necessarily going to make sense. And what we're seeing is this instinctual nature. Mm. Where are our instincts here and... It, there's symbols of madness and lunacy, and to me, it kind of addresses uh, the modern person's reliance on our intellect, and mm. that um, how are we making our decisions, and is it is it going to be rational? This this the moon. The ideas here are definitely um, making making the point that things aren't always rational. Mm-hmm. And, rational, and irrational is not bad, but it is dangerous. And we're going to see it as dangerous because you can lose control. Yeah, um, and so by the light of the moon, when all else is darkness, just things look differently. They take on different shapes, and we see the world in, in different forms. Um, and I'm just reminded now of the, you know, the, the moon being in touch with uh, women's cycles and so forth. And I, I I don't often share these TMI moments, little personal moment here. It's just but, between us. You know, no one else <laughs> yeah, is You know, me, me and Julianne and the world. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's the last card. We'll get to that later. Um, but uh, but in, in Honor of the Moon card here, just the other night, I feel like it's relevant, um, I was just suddenly overwhelmed or overcome in the middle of the night, early in the morning, and usually I'm, I sleep like a log, uh, but it was the new moon. I didn't even know it was the new moon, but I started to get all of these really intense feelings, feeling overwhelmed, like, and beginning to mourn things like the ecological situation and where we're all going as, as human beings and what it means to be on this planet. And all of these things were just overwhelming me and then I had to get up out of bed and check where the moon was and it was sure enough new moon in one hour (laughs) and uh, I felt like oh my gosh the the moon is dying it feels like the moon is dying and at the same time of course I'm starting my period (laughs) right Mm -hmm. (laughs) that egg right is going away it will never be a child sort of feeling and and I had to think to myself are the is am I going mad in these moments? Like when we're in this part of our faith, are we mad momentarily, or is this veil lifted for a little while and we are able to do the necessary work of seeing and mourning and experiencing what's happening on a deeper level? And that that was this big question that came to me at this time because usually I'm able to quite cheerfully uh, go through life and and just get on with it. Uh, but it was in moments like in these when I had no preparation or control over it that I just sink down into a, a sort of mad moment 
but it seems as though there's something important there too. Yeah, and I would bet, honestly, that that um, there were a lot of nodding heads <laughs> listening to what you were talking about. Um, I think especially with this last moon, but um, and there is, I believe it was Libra and Aries. So we have the peacemaker, we have the 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 judge peacemaker with the warrior happening symbolically, and I and I can't speak to you know deeply into the astrological realm of it, but I, I too absolutely this last new moon. Um, and with a lot of full moons do feel that you're, you know, you're drawn into very, very, very strong emotions, which if you just sit in judgment on the outside can be considered crazy. But I think you Mm -hmm. make a really, really good point that, um, being drawn into sort of the pure sense of these emotions, um, and not the trick is to not necessarily make a bunch of decisions from them. But to be with them experientially, to make space for them to mm. be there, mm-hmm. but to not look at them as, as marching orders for any way, shape, or, 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 or form. Um, that's, I think, the beauty of, of looking at the story that the Major Arcana has for us is that um, we are we have been, if we, if we look at the spiral of what we've learned, and the bottom of that spiral is those first, say, eight or ten where we're being taught lessons and we're being brought into the bosom or the brought into the strength of the wisdom of each of those characters, that we're now much more ready to, to face these things. And in terms of these emotions and this this lunacy, and the, um, uh, the moon card a lot of people associate with unrealistic ideas of like dreaming and just being not in touch with reality, but the, the, the high priestess is there to... To, to make space for this bit of lunacy, to make space for this dreaming, and to not just sort of push it out as craziness. But at the same time, there's nothing here that says, go in here and make a bunch of decisions based on this madness that you're going to go through. Right. Or this this set of um, symbols and illusions. But to absolutely, it presents it as something to be worked with and to, to give space. And that takes us right back to the high priestess's wisdom, which was being able to be with and just be, and and she's sitting down, you know, she's not an action figure. She <laughs> and she wasn't the the mother loving figure either. There mm-hmm, wasn't. Mm-hmm. There was uh, the the high priestess is not indulgent in a overly emotional way, um, but it's a holding steady and a presence. It's it's not like oh yeah go you know work with this you know insane idea. And go actually do it. I mean, that decision might might happen. And I think that's where we, for me anyway, I look at this card and I wanted to talk about the artist. Um, because a lot of the, the nature of what's happening in this stage or the story here has a lot to do with what artists um, and creativity have to go through. Ooh, so, wonderful artist. Tell us all about that archetype of the artist. Yeah, I know this one real well. Uh, it's in it, it terms of sort of how people claim um, or are claimed by an archetype. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty four square in the middle of this, and I would say you are as well, Sundara, being uh, deeply creative people. Everyone's creative, but there is certainly something about the artist that is distinct. It is its own sort of template or shape of the psyche with um, a lot of things in it. And uh, it's it's easy. I mean, it's, it's a popular archetype. You say artist and people get... They get an image in their mind, for better or for worse. So, I mean, I don't want to go spend too much time talking about what is an artist. I think most of us know. What I do want to make sure that I do is is make sure that the scope is seen as as people who are passionate about um, expressing a dimension of life that is beyond 
the obvious and beyond the, the senses. So there is uh, something about creating and transcendence in the, in the nature of the artist. And it has so much to do with not just what they make, but their, uh, their own intensity and their motivation to manifest something that's, that's extraordinary or that they alone were put in the world to, to create. And that could be somebody who is, uh, you know, creative in a kitchen, who is an artist in a kitchen. You know, there's people who are just craftspeople, but their, their motivation, their passion is to create. That's something that's, that is extraordinary or is transcendent of the everyday. So it's a big category. It, it does include all the off, offshoots of, you know, I would throw in a chef, craft, craftsperson, actors, dancers, musicians, um, artist is sort of the big category. Mm -hmm. And um, what we are, what we're talking about today in this sort of creative madness, this lunacy, I think artists go through to one degree or another because artists are typically expressing what's happening from within to without mm -hmm. and people like directors and screenwriters are all artists themselves. We have, um, we have a glut of, of films and books and art that is about this very thing, which is, it makes it much easier for us to explore. And if you're not, uh, if you don't identify with the artist archetype and you know, some of that is foreign to you. We look at this stage as everybody will go through it in one form or another. I think it's just sort of the bailiwick of the artist. Um, they probably uh, own more real estate in this land, <laughs> as it were. And there's a lot to do, I think, um, that maybe not an art classically seen as an artist, but someone like Carl Jung was definitely involved in this stage, wrote about it, was... And, and wrote about in a way that it wasn't just, I'm an artist, I'm going through this. He was more of a, um, an alchemist or a philosopher, technician of the psyche. So, And he goes so great with the moon cart and with, with uh, uh, and many of you may have heard uh, the release of his very, very private, amazing book. The Red Book uh, came out a couple of years now. It was I think. his journal. Yeah, it was Isn't his it? private yeah. journal. He didn't write it to be published. Yeah, he didn't write it to be published, though I think he probably suspected that it, it might become public at some point. Um, and it is gorgeous. It is just absolutely beautiful. Um, and, and he credits it to be the basis of much of his major works later in his life. Uh, and it's just full of calligraphy and paintings that he made, though he did decline the title of artist. He felt like it was his own you know, personal journey, and he didn't want to get it all tied up with with the the artist label. Yeah, it's interesting that as an archetype that he wrestled with. Yeah, he, he what really want to own it that way. What he uh, experienced was that he had, like, the, the anima voice, his inner feminine, essentially, was saying, this is art, this is art, and, and he would deny it. And, and mm. he would, he, he didn't want to be tempted by that. The masculine, the, the animus. It's like no, you can't. You can't be an artist. He mm. was very firm on not calling it art, but mm. but being a personal exploration, very very deep. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it would be very re relevant to our card, and it's a we, huge we, book here. We, <laughs> That's all we, I have to we have a copy here. of it sitting here, and I don't know if you've, anyone's ever seen the Red Book oh in gosh. person. You probably won't find it at a library um, because at least the first editions they put out, it's huge. It's what twenty four inch, twenty inches. 20 some odd inches by, it's, I don't know, it's, it's all, it's most of your arm. Yeah. It's, it, 
I joke about it. I love this book. It's gorgeous. Um, but you could basically just put like legs on it and it could be a table. Um, but it needs to be, I think... If, if you have a friend who has a copy or you have a copy or you can get it, your hands on it and you're looking at, you know, what is this stage of the moon about, flipping through this book I think could be helpful. And knowing that Jung himself, this is his journey. This is his journal and his journey and his descent into madness. Um, and, and the reason it was held back for so long by his family was that they, they feared that he would be viewed as mad because of what's in this book and that it would demean uh, or dethrone his, his, work, his yeah. work that he did over a lifetime. But I think for many, you know, they've released it, I think, at a great time. I think many, many people are drawing fresh inspiration yeah, from it. Was, it. What, 2008? Yeah, something like they that. They put it out it? just as that sort of the economic things were starting to get ugly. There were some major things happening. Yeah. This, this came out at a really interesting time. Yeah, it's it is interesting you say um, that because when you know when there's recession, when people maybe even unemployed or, or have more time on their hands, they have to turn in and they have to reflect. And and this is like a guide, not for you to to he didn't want you to copy him, but to find your own way, your own relationship with the moon or with these these unseen parts of yourself. So I'm going to read a statement he made in 1957 towards the end of his life about the Red Book. The years of which I have spoken to you when I pursued the inner images were the most important time of my life. Everything else is to be derived from this. It began at that time and the later details hardly matter anymore. My entire life consisted in elaborating what had burst forth from the unconscious and flooded me like an enigmatic stream and threatened to break me. That was the stuff and material for more than only one life. Everything later was merely the outer classification, the scientific elaboration, and the integration into life. But the numinous beginning, which contained everything, was then. That really, really, I think, speaks to... It just goes against what we are taught in our waking world and in the culture of it's all about physically making something. You've got to have an accomplishment. You've got to do something. You've got to be able to make it and show it to the world, which is true. But I think our, our, our focus is always, it tends to always be on that. What this card is saying is there's a lot of stuff in here. There's a lot of stuff in your psyche that is going to seem crazy and it's going right. to seem mad. And that, that it might or might not have anything to do with what you create in the world, but it is really, really important. It's that intangible yeah. it's reminder. It's invisible. That yeah. It's invisible, yeah. but it is equally, equally important. And yeah, so it is. Mm -hmm. this, this stage or this sense that like, oh my God, I just need to go to a therapist and get over all of this. Mm -mm. I think what Jung is saying and what, what we're seeing too um, is maybe this isn't to be gotten rid of. Mm -mm. This isn't just a pathology. That this you is the path. This is the way. Mm. And, uh, you know, the crawfish or the lobsters rising up right now in my <laughs> mind. <laughs> and and I think it also has something to teach as a symbol, which is that it it's flesh. It has an exoskeleton. It's hard on the outside. It's useful on the outside. It's protected on the outside. But inside of it is all the soft, vulnerable flesh. Tasty lemon butter. What? <laughs> <laughs> and Julianne's getting hungry. Uh, but I think there's something to be learned from that is that that we must we must have the space. We must protect these parts that seem useless or vulnerable 
uh, but they are they are the substance within us, mm. and uh, yeah, that's incredible. And and it's in this red book, and it's in you in whatever form path that you take. Uh, this stuff can well up. Yeah, it's real, and I think it's pretty easy to romanticize this the stage or what have you. It's pretty easy to just to to put it into a film or whatever and go, oh, that happens to other people. Uh, that is not relevant to me. It was a pretty film or whatever. But I think we all know at that deeper level there is there is something there is something there. And I think anybody listening to this podcast who's drawn to kind of these ideas can probably relate to it a little bit more. We're talking about deep shadow stuff. Deep, deep, deep shadow stuff. I mean shadow meaning, you know, unexamined. This is an invitation to to be with it, to make space for it. And to a degree, examine, I think, but um, not in that clinical, I'm going to be separated and just examine it. It is experiential. Um, and this sort of invitation to be beyond the veil, and the, I think the choices that are brought up are really important. And I think that's something we should talk about in terms of, to, to put this into the context of a couple of, of choices when we're in this, brought to this place of, so much whatever your own particular brand of lunacy these very deep deep emotional you know you're worried you've got a lot of imagination there's there's fantasy coming up there's just lots of psychological sort of like potential conflict happening do you run away from it do you go through it I think this choice is pointing out or this card is pointing out do you go mad with it do you become one of those dogs barking at the moon or do you navigate it in such a way that you're with it? You're finding out where it can take you. And I think a great model for this as we begin to get towards the, the media portion of our podcast it, is the eternal sunshine of the spotless yeah, mind. Yeah. And we see the, the main character, Jim Carrey's character, go through this, uh, you know, after the painful end of this very deep relationship uh, with the Kate Winslet character he wants to have it all erased he doesn't want to deal with the madness uh and pain that he feels from it and of course what is the consequence when one does not face this madness and what's the definition of madness it's it's doing, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results exactly yeah. and so he inevitably falls in love with her once again and um and this is a wonderful symbol for what happens in real life all the time uh when we don't work through our parental projections you know our what causes us to fall in love with the same person over and over again we will fall in love with maybe not the same literal person again and again but the same kind of person again yeah, and again same shades of the, the archetypes absolutely yeah, and that and it, it it after a while it begins to feel like a madness. Like God, this is so familiar. The same thing happens every time, uh, but that uh, that feeling of madness or that repetition, that spiraling back around, is what will instigate the healing or instigate uh, something has to change. I need to get out of this dark night of the soul that I keep revisiting. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. That the, this card is uh, many people do consider the dark night of the soul. You know, the really Sally Nichols yeah. uh, archetypal tarot. If you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. That is good. Uh, young and tarot. Sorry, that's her book. Young yeah. and tarot. But to mm -hmm. kind of get back to the themes of what are, what's brought up um, in the Eternal Sunshine of the the Spotless Mind, and I think it's it's fascinating because the same director 
um, to kind of bring in the artist here, the same director, Michel Gondry, um, also made a movie called The Science of Sleep. And I think it's, for me, you can kind of take a look at what the choices are, they're kind of brought up in here is to, to work with that sort of those deeply strong emotions, you know, and in Eternal Sunshine, his first choice is the typical modern Western choice of get rid of it, you know, like, and so many people, if you had that service today, and I actually just heard something on the uh, NPR podcast um, radio lab about, can you just take these memories out of me and how they're actually working on it? But that's our, you know, that's our... Uh, that's what we will do. We will, you know, choose. Oh yeah, it's going to be easy. Take it out. Mm. Take my take this painful um, experience away. And what you know, Jungian psychology, and certainly you know, we're talking about in this stage is like you are not you without that experience with mm-hmm. it. So it's it's there. It's difficult. Ain't nobody saying this is going to be easy, but it's there to to work with and not always in the you got to go in there and tackle it right and and this this stage isn't all about um making a lot of sense it's about making room for things to not necessarily make sense but again we've the 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 analog here is the the high priestess that wisdom what we learned there and then from the subsequent journey on this spiral having that with us in this place of madness and not running away from it and not trying to take it out will let us potentially actually not only heal it, include it, but work with it and possibly enjoy it. And and that that relates to the other film that Michelle Gondry made, The Science of Sleep, which is this it's it's sad, but it's beautiful. It's this it is very fantastical, but it is kind of working with a lot of similar themes in a different way because um that emotional space is bigger, that um it's as if you 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 have conflicts, but there are enough there's enough room for them to happen. You don't um, exacerbate them by telling that story over and over again. You live the story instead of just tell the story, and work with it that way. Those are two films I, I recommend if people enjoy that type of film: uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and The Science of Sleep, both directed by Michel Gondry. Just to circle back a little bit more with the artist, and and I don't know that I touched on this yet. the the tortured The tortured artist is a is a flavor of the artist, and we can certainly see with the moon the tortured artist. You know, we've mentioned the film um, Frida here before, and the artist um, Frida. That's certainly something to look at, and and it has really become that tortured artist has become sort of synonymous, and I think it's because of the stage, because there is this storm of um, apprehension and anxiety and illusion and delusion happening and it's the artist that can show this stage really well it is as if this is sort of our natural place to be and the the conflicts and and, and how you go through that so you know I have a list as long as my arm of films and books that are about this very same thing that are about essentially what we're presenting here in the moon um, not all unfortunately most of them are tragic mm. you know you've got the bell jar you've got Sylvia Plath Certainly, Philip K. Dick's uh, books, especially Valis, is um, represented here in terms of that sort of like creative madness stage. Um, one that I just rewatched recently, which I thought was a good example, was The Hours, based on uh, Virginia Woolf and the book Mrs. Dalloway, and it's three intertwining stories taking place in, you know, it was at the the twenties and um, you know early two thousands and then the fifties. So I, I I see that and in particular more of a, a feminine way of working with 
this sort of going to these places. It has to do with, you know, a suicide. And that, to me, is that that giving up, that like you've dissented into that madness and not found your way out or not opened yourself up to, to be with it in a way you spent far too much time trying to get rid of the madness. And mm. not, you know, and I think in terms of Virginia Woolf, as it's presented in this film of... She did work with the madness, but she wrestled with it, mm-hmm. and um, and in the end, did did end up ending her own life through it. Um, I think very intelligently, but very tragically too, because it was um, as if, uh, and many artists think this is that they have to be mad in order to create. They have to be tortured in order to create. I don't believe that's true. I believe that it's easier at certain times in your life to create when you have that madness. And that is because in some way, shape, or form, you're harnessing that lunacy, that everything, that deep, deep emotion to work with it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the only way that you can create. It's it's as if you've it's a drug and you've relied on that torture to create great work. Uh, but there is there is definitely, um, speaking as an artist and um, and I know a lot of other artists feel this way that you can you can use that madness as a fuel, but you you that can't be your only fuel for creativity. What does Shakespeare say that uh, lovers, lunatics, and artists are an intellect all alike? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it can also be compared to a quote I've I've heard about a, a mad person compared to a shaman, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's the same stuff that. It's the same, you know, the the hallucinations they're receiving uh, are that they're from the same place. They're from the unconscious, but for the mad person, they're drowning in it, and they, the, you know, their f- fragile vessel, their body, their mind will not be able to return. Whereas the shaman, they're swimming through these same waters. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that a similar thing could be said about a, an artist that's going to stick around with us for a while. Yeah. I, I think throughout, you know, look at all of the, you know, so many of the musicians throughout the 60s. Some of them were able to make it through and and, and uh, be successful artists into their uh, later years, while others were consumed, you know, by the same stuff and yeah. were not able to last. So, yeah, I think that that's an important point. And that's the danger here in this stage, and that's the danger with the artist, is being consumed by it and mm-hmm. not having any anchor points. And, and really looking at this this whole journey that we've been on and seeing it as a spiral and remembering that we have, and I, I truly believe this, we have been brought to different stages in these archetypal journeys to to bring with us that knowledge and everything with us so so those can be there with us as we as we go into these stages you know we didn't just wake up and find ourselves here the first day we were born there were a lot of other experience that i think we can we can call upon and that you can look through these archetypal lenses to go back to your own life and you know bring that with you and if you haven't consciously done it I think what we are talking about gives you that opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of go back and see where those characters were and uh, make space for them. And, you know, having that with you in these, I think, various trying stages. And this one, because you can feel very alone in it, is is one where those archetypal characters can be very helpful. And, um, you know, not not all artists are... Um, all artists, I think, are, are can be very afraid of this stage and uh, you know having a lot of apprehension but not all not all of us are uh, relying on that for creativity 
and um, something that I would point out to people who are interested, there's a great TED Talk by Elizabeth Gilbert that talks about um, kind of the, the block and um, sort of like that can make you crazy too of thinking, oh my God, I just did something amazing. What do I do next? And I think that, um, you know, it's highly relatable TED Talk. I'll put it in the show notes along with I, I kid you not, a list as long as my arm about um, creative madness and the way different artists have portrayed it, um, either based on true stories, you know, like Basquiat or um, some others, um, Vincent van Gogh, and um, as well as some great articles that I found about this particular topic that hopefully people will find helpful. So stay to the end of the show, and in the, um, the very end, I'll list the URL to, to find that information. Wonderful. So, so yeah. raise up that crawfish as your um, your new power animal. Get out a pot and some uh, lemon and some butter. <laughs> Stop yeah. trying to boil my symbol alive. I, I just like I like. I feel it. I swear. <laughs> she's she's vegetarian. But, so and in just wrapping up, I just wanted to say. Um, you know, please, if you want to email us, atpodcast at archetypist.com. Uh, you can reach me through my website, um, archetypist.com, and Sundara's um, Tarot Dreamstone on Facebook. So find her on Facebook. And uh, we, you know what, we're getting so many great emails from people. And Yeah, keep them um, coming. We love you it. Know, slippers you know things like that <laughs> anyway we love hearing from you and we are incorporating um your questions and things into the podcast as we can and we only have what four left three oh left? yeah we're we're reaching the home stretch we're reaching the home stretch and really thinking about what our next steps are and everyone who's emailed us with your suggestions we appreciate it and we're gonna um, we're going to be thinking about that so you know stay tuned for that and before this is all this in incarnation of archetypal tarot is over with we will definitely give our, our listeners a a place to uh, a place to land while we're not doing the podcast so yeah absolutely uh and so the moon card we saw lots of twin double themes starting to emerge we saw two dogs we saw two Ow. plants we saw two towers um so something is definitely emerging from the unconscious which will uh culminate and really be our symbol that we explore next time with the twins in the sun card yes I'm very looking much to looking forward to that and hope to see you here thanks so much bye Thanks for listening to the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. For more in-depth information on what we talked about in the show today, just go to archetypist.com, that's A-R-C-H-E-T-Y-P-I-S-T.com, and just type the words the moon into the search bar and you will be led to the article about today's show. Until next time, thanks so much. Bye-bye.